0: Pastor Nathan has just finished up the book of Daniel, and I will be continuing today in the book of Mark, working uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through the book of Mark. And at this particular uh, juncture, we come to Mark chapter 10, the gospel according to Mark chapter 10. And... It's a little bit bittersweet to talk about this subject today because we are going to be talking about the mysterious union. We're going to be talking about marriage and we're going to be talking about how not only marriage has been undermined, but also we're going to look at the God's design for marriage and God's intention of marriage and the beautiful reality of the divine mystic, not mystic, but mysterious union between Christ and his beloved bride. And thinking about marriage, thinking about celebrations, I know that we have several couples in here that are on their way to being married and we are rejoicing with them. We are excited to guide them and to lead them uh, through the process of being married and All those interactions of counsel, which uh, we talk about expectations and the things to look forward to. And also the great reminder that you are marrying a sinner, a fellow sinner, one uh, like yourself who is in sin. And as we approach Mark chapter 10, I do... Uh, I do want to treat this passage with a sensitivity, with a, a, a delicacy, uh, in a delicate way. Because this passage speaks a lot about divorce. And the rigors of divorce. We're going to look at the pains of divorce. And I, I know, just looking out, at a crowd this big, that we are all affected by the rigors and the trauma and the destruction of divorce. It affects all of us. We're going to see today that marriage is not only this mysterious union between a husband and a wife, but we're going to look at the recalibration Of marriage. One from uh, two negative ways, and then also from two positive ways, and two rebuilding ways, if you will. And it it is quite shocking that divorce was as uh, greatly debated and as prolific back in Christ's day as it is in our day. Is that hard to believe? Open you with me, if you would, your copy of God's word to the gospel according to Mark chapter 10, and let us read verses 1 through 12. Hear now the reading of God's holy and perfect word. It says, And he left there and went into the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered to him again, and again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked Him again about this matter. And He said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. This is God's holy word. Let us, let us pause. Let us go to the Lord in prayer uh, in light of this. Heavenly Father, O oh Lord, we, we pray as, as we've not only heard your word, but Father, as we hear the proclamation of your word, O oh Lord, I, I pray that we would have hearts that are sensitive to the reception of your word, Pray that You would give the interpretation of Your Word, O oh Lord, that we would know what You have declared, not only about divorce, Lord, but also about marriage, all oh, this amazing intimate union between a man and a woman. And Lord, I pray that we would understand the ultimate reality through which it points and pictures Christ and His Bride. Oh Lord, I pray that the Spirit would open hearts and minds, give us understanding, give us illumination, Lord, we pray in Jesus Christ's glorious and precious name, amen. Well, as, as I've said earlier, um, divorce, marriage, is not only a hot button in our day, it is not only greatly debated in our day, but it was also debated in Jesus' Jesus's day. And I don't know about you. I don't know where, where you come from this topic, but it, it does indeed affect all of us. I know from my perspective, uh, my parents are soon to celebrate, I think it's 55 years of marriage. And I can remember as a young man hearing my grandparents kind of give that same testimony. And, and, and th- we went to their 50th year anniversary. This is, they've been married 50 years. And I was a single man and I was a single young man. And I was thinking to me, I'm not even 50 years old. And they've already been married 50 years. I'm like, I was thinking the time is ticking for me. I'm never going to make 50 years. I've got to get married first. And by God's grace, he allowed me and brought a wonderful wife to me. But divorce is always... Scared me. Marriage has been scary too because I thought, what if I get divorced? What if my wife leaves me? What if my wife commits adultery on me? What if I do that? And I'm the one at fault. As an eight-year-old boy, I was at a friend's house. Best friend in the world, loved going to his house. We ram Legos together at night and had so much fun. In the morning, we always had donuts, and I loved it as his house because it was always amazing in the morning. But this particular morning, we woke up and there were no donuts, and there was weeping and there was crying, and none of us knew what was going on. My parents were there to pick me up and take me home, and I was like, no. What's going on? My parents are like, we'll talk about it later. The man had had an affair on his wife and he was done with the relationship. He was over and wanted to end it. And there was a divorce about to happen a tearing of the flesh, a tearing of two that God had joined together. It was horrific. It was impactful, and growing up in my life, I saw from my friend the trauma of him being bounced around, the trauma of a woman being kicked to the curb, the 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 horror of all that these things bring, and no matter where you are on that that spectrum, I want you to know, I just want to pause and say that God has sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die for sinners. For their sins. And that there is forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. I want to front load this and let you know that if you are here and you have been divorced, that divorce does not define you. And that divorce is not your identity. Let us look at this text in Mark chapter 10. Look with me if you would at verse 1. In this particular chapter, it says in verse 1, that he left there and he went to a region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, Crowds were gathering to him. He had been healing people. He has raised people from the dead. Word was getting out to who he was and what he had done. And it says here in verse 1: As was his cost custom, he brought the crowds together and he taught them. And beloved, it as it begins from the very beginning, Jesus came and in his ministry, he came to teach and to preach about the kingdom of God and how uh, he came to preach about the gospel of the kingdom and how people need to repent and believe in the gospel of the kingdom. That's why he came. He didn't come to make everybody's marriage uh, picture perfect. Uh, He didn't come to heal every disease he didn't come to uh, give people more education that they might just be smarter people. He didn't come that you might have your best life now. He came to not only preach about the kingdom, uh, but what we're going to see is He came as He's been teaching and telling His disciples, I have come to give my life as a ransom for many. I have come to be rejected by the scribes and the Pharisees of the Jews and to lay my life down like the Lamb of God for sin, for sinners, that you may have everlasting life for all who look to Him by faith alone. He come to proclaim that good news. Notice it says here, He left there. He, he left Capernaum. He left the region of Galilee. And he is on his way down. He his face is set like flint, and he is going to Jerusalem to be crucified. He's going there on purpose. And as he does, look what it says. He is going to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. That should stir in our minds. Like, well, what was going on over there? That is where John the Baptist was proclaiming, "Repent." for the kingdom of God is at hand. It is also meant to draw your attention to, and I think remind you, that John the Baptist was proclaiming, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And King Herod got word of it, who divorced his wife, and he went and he married his brother's wife, which is completely unlawful and wrong and sinful. And John the Baptist had no small voice telling him that. And John the Baptist violently lost his head and was killed, was murdered. So in light of that background, here come the Pharisees who have their mission To not only put Christ to the test, but they hated Jesus. And from chapter 3, we see that they wanted to trap Jesus. They wanted to get Jesus to say something wrong about the law. They wanted to destroy Him. Does that just make your mind go, what? These These are religious elite supposedly pietistic, holy men of God, holy men of the book, want to murder a righteous man. They want to kill him. And it's almost like from this text that they want to do it in a subversive way. They, want, they don't want to get their hands dirty, but they want Herod probably to take care of Jesus in the same way John the Baptist was. And so look at this first point that we're going to see about marriage and the recalibration of marriage. The Pharisees wanted to recalibrate marriage. And if you're taking notes, point number one, I want us to see this is marriage undermined. Point number one is marriage undermined. Look at these Pharisees. In verse two, it says, they came up to him in order to test him. This idea is the same as uh, like to tempt him. They want to they test him. They want to incriminate him. They want him to fall. They, they want, they're they trying to tempt him. And they ask him a question about the law. And they said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? So here comes this hotly debated issue. And it's not only like they wanted to get Jesus in trouble with Herod but also with the crowds, because the crowds loved Jesus. He was healing them. He was feeding them. He was teaching them. He was compassionate on them. He was compassionate even to the Gentiles up in the Decapolis. He was restoring people. He was restoring lepers. Lepers. So maybe their craftiness, they're like, oh, we'll get the crowd against Him because we know where we stand on divorce. And we have a suspicion that Jesus' idea of divorce is going to be pretty high. And here was the debate back then. There were, there were lots of different camps on what the Pharisees and the religious elite believed, but there were largely two camps. And one particular camp was from like a rabbi named Shammai. And he was extremely conservative and his group was conservative. And they said uh, there was only one way that you could get divorced from your wife and that was because of infidelity. If there was some kind of sexual immorality going on, that that was grounds for divorce. And here's what's interesting, even about this text, is back then the Jews, no one debated whether uh, divorce uh, was lawful no one do, don't, in, in, in the realm of sexual immorality, that wasn't, that wasn't the debate. But the debate came from on what grounds was divorce uh, acceptable or biblical. And this other group uh, from Rabbi Hillel, they had a very broad and very liberal idea of divorce. So much so that if your wife burnt the toast, you could write her a certificate of divorce and be away with her. If she spoiled your food, if she was not able to have children, you could just send her away. Almost for any reason, you could get rid of your wife. And back then, women consider this. It wasn't like you're getting half the house and the possessions and all the, you know, getting some of the paintings, you're getting the car, you're getting all the kids and all the all the money that comes with child support. No. No, you were kicked out and left destitute. You were on your own and you were labeled. This is among the Jews. This is shocking, is it not? It was worse for the Greeks. And all you have to do is go to the cesspool of Rome and it was even worse. Some have noted in the history books, men and women, that they were married over 20 times. Some people like... Eight times within three years. You may have had family that it's like, how many times have they been married? I don't know. I can't even keep track. It is is bad in our day as well. What has happened to the institution of marriage? What has happened to the degrading of marriage? Where our own country will redefine marriage between a man and a man? What about a a man and a child? What about a man and an animal? A man and a tree? Or a man and his possessions? What about a whole group of people? Let's do that. Polygamy. No. No. That is is condemned in the Scriptures. The Pharisees came. they're, They're... they too are not only trying to undermine marriage, but they're trying to trap Jesus Christ. They're trying to do away with Him. They're trying to get a provision to make marriage like a meat market. You just take and choose and do whatever you want. Beloved, this affects us in our day too, and it is just as tragic in our day. I love Jesus. He's so wise. They ask me a question. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And here's point number two. As we think about marriage being recalibrated, point number two is the concession of divorce that divorce was permitted. And Jesus, He answers a question with a question. I love why He does that. They said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And Jesus says, you want to ask me what is lawful? He's like, what does Moses say? What what does Moses say? Let's let's ask the one that we get the law from. What, What does Moses say about Biblical grounds for divorce. What is your understanding of that? What has He commanded? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. So God gave a concession for divorce. And where this comes from is Deuteronomy chapter 24. And if you have your Bibles, let us go there real quickly to Deuteronomy chapter 24. I'm going to begin reading at verse 1. It says, and this is about the laws concerning divorce. It says, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes, because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, The crux of the battle, the crux of the debate had to do with one word. And it was this one word of indecency. That if he finds some indecency in her, and so the Hillel camp said, oh, if he finds anything wrong with her, any blemish, anything he doesn't like, he's free to get a divorce that was pretty popular in their day. So much so that I think many of the young ladies didn't even want to marry. Indecency. The idea is, if we keep reading, the indecency has to do with sexual immorality. It has to do with... um, It has to do with nakedness. It has to do... Like in chapter 23, uh, it it refers to this idea of exposing oneself. So here here is the debate. What to do about it? and What is Jesus going to say? Can a man write a certificate of divorce and send her away? In one sense... For any reason, is that the grounds for divorce? You could hear the people back then. Well, to me it means this. Well, my interpretation, I interpret that differently. Well, they're going to have to stand before God one day. And Jesus, He brings the final arbiter of the truth. What it means. I do want to talk about... Divorce in that divorce is not demanded in absolutely every single case. Uh, Biblically, we could look at the book of Hosea, where he married Gomer, and she left him and went after other lovers. He went after her and chased after her and brought her back. He did not divorce her. She ran away again. He would go get her. Divorce is a result of sin. Sin on one of the parties. But if your spouse has sinned against you by committing sexual immorality, the Bible says that you have grounds for divorce and it is not a sin for you to get divorced. Uh, Let's let's recall uh, Joseph and Mary, right? Back in Bethlehem, the birth of baby Jesus, right? Remember that Christmas story? Joseph finds out that he is betrothed to Mary, and she's with child. And it says he, being a righteous man, when he finds that out, he settles it in his mind to divorce her quietly. That is, he didn't want to bring and heap shame upon her. But he said, Well, I will divorce her quietly. And it's called him a righteous man in doing that. But as we know, the angel shows up and tells him, ah, That which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit of God. Do not, in one sense, get divorced, right? Um, The Lord Jesus says that them kind of quoting this passage, God said we can write a certificate of divorce. Jesus said it's because of the hardness of your heart. It's because of their sin that He wrote you this commandment. You see, as we read in Deuteronomy 24, if the man wrote a certificate of divorce and gave it to his wife, that meant for him, he was giving up his rights to her. That he no longer had any rights to her and that, that, that he could not marry her again. And for the woman, it was to protect her, giving her um, a certificate of divorce that she could go and remarry. Um, The Pharisees wanted to recalibrate marriage. They wanted to bring it down. They wanted to redefine it. Beloved, praise God, Jesus, Consider marriage, He recalibrates it not to divorce in their minds, but He takes them back to the garden. He takes them back to creation. He brings them back to the true intention of what marriage is all about. And he says, yes, God gave you the ability to get divorced because of the hardness of your heart, because of your sin. But look what he says in verse 6. He says, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And beloved, sadly in our day, me saying that today... Is more offensive than divorce. It's more offensive than talking about homosexuality. But to call a man a man and a woman a woman is the most offensive thing that we can say in our day and age. What is a woman? Is that really that hard to describe? Jesus goes back to the garden. He says, beginning from creation. So, from the very foundation, the first foundational human institution was designed by God. So when we think about the recalibration of marriage, point number three is the design of marriage. I want you to take note and put in the design of marriage. The design. It is God's institution. He made it. He designed it. It's not a social construct. It's not for us to define it and re- re-describe it or to say what it is. And Jesus says in verse 7, He says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother. Notice it doesn't say he shall leave his fathers and his mothers. No. He not, not his father and all of his mothers. Hold fast to his wife. No. Jesus talks about this intimate, close relationship unit. The man is to leave his father and his mother. This is going to be hard for parents, but parents, you are to let your children leave and cleave, right? At some point, they are to get out of the nest. And here's what's so special about marriage is that when that happens, Jesus says, he's quoting Genesis chapter 2, that this leaving and cleaving, it produces the two Into one flesh. And the idea is, there's something new here. There's a new family. There is a a new human institution going on. When there's a leaving cleaving, there's something new. And so, children, it doesn't mean you disown your parents. It, It doesn't mean that you can't receive advice from them. Or listen to them and gain wisdom from them. But you are different. And so women, you need to cleave, you need to leave your family and you need to truly cleave your husband. you need to work through things together. you need to seek the wisdom of God together. you're going to make decisions together. it's not that you can't have wisdom from your parents, but ultimately you decide and this is hard, isn't it? getting married and your parents want to do all these things in, in your wedding uh, you know and you want to have all these things you want to do in your wedding and they might be paying for the wedding, and like in our wedding with my wife, it was like, but but we want to have this, and we want to do this. And I was ready to fight tooth and nail for all these different things. And one of my pastors was like, there will be battles. Maybe this, uh, the, the flyer that's going to be sent out, maybe that's not the battle you want to fight right now, you know. <laughs> There's going to be other important things to fight for. Hold fast to your wife. A man shall leave his father and mother. Hold fast. They are going to be joined together. There's a new relationship here. This is by God's design. But I know I don't have to spell this out. And I know I probably don't have to spell this out for any of you here. But polygamy is not in the equation here. Homosexuality is not in The description here. Jesus elevates and puts marriage back upon this high level of what God has put together. Let not man separate. Or you could say, let not woman separate. But I also want you to notice, marriage was in the garden before there was sin. And divorce was not a part of God's plan for marriage. But it's in light of sin. And beloved, if you're thinking about being married one day, maybe you are married, I do want to just remind you that you are marrying a sinner. If you are married, You know that marriage takes humility. You will be asking forgiveness often. The two becoming one flesh. This amazing union that, men, you are not your own anymore. You need to consider your wife. Women, you're not your own anymore. You need to consider Your husband, this mutual foundational love. You need to seek after your own patience with your spouse because you are marrying or have married a sinner. And it takes great patience, it takes great effort, it takes great work. It is a covenant. And it is to be treated that way. That's why we take vows. And what do we say? Until death do we part. There is not some sideline get out of marriage free card if your wife becomes a paraplegic. Or a quadriplegic. The Great theologian B.B. Warfield. He wasn't married very long, and his wife became a paraplegic. She settled into a wheelchair the rest of her life. He faithfully came alongside her. They had no children, but he loved her, he served her, he was faithful to her. That's what we see in Jesus Christ. That's what we see in our great Lord. We see humility. We see service. We see laying his life down for his bride. Beloved, the fourth point today is we think about the recalibration of marriage. I want to take note from Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul speaks about marriage in an extremely radical way for these Greeks in Ephesus. He talks about marriage in a monogamous sacrificial kind of language and way. Look what it says in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25. He notes the husbands husbands love your wives. That's a command by the way. Husbands, love your wives. And if it couldn't get any higher, He says, as Christ loved the church. How does Christ love the church? He tells us. And He gave Himself up for her. He sacrificed Himself for her. It says that He might sanctify her. Having cleansed her, By the washing of water with the Word, so that He might present the church to Himself without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. He says in verse 28, in the same way, He says husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself it says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Take him from the book of Isaiah. Just as Christ does the church, because we are members of His body. And then he quotes Genesis 2 that Jesus quoted earlier. And Paul says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This amazing, mysterious union. Two people becoming one. Is, here is the glory. Here is the pinnacle of the sermon today. This marriage, this mysterious divine union is described ultimately. It points to Christ and His bride, the church. This divine, mysterious union of you being united with God the Son forever united to Jesus, the faithful One, the One who loves you with an infinite love, even though you sin against Him, even though you rebel against Him, even though you prefer yourself more than Him, get so worked up about this. This is so good because beloved marriage between husband and wife in God's plan is pointing to, it is a picture of and it points to the greater reality of Jesus Christ with the bride. He gives us life through union with Him. Paul says that. He says in verse 32, this mystery of marriage, he is saying, is profound. And he says as a shocker, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So beloved, if you've stood up here and you've gotten married, you are testifying to the world you are recalibrating the world to understand and to know this union between husband and wife. It's picturing, it's portraying Christ and His bride. One thing else that is important to note that marriage is not just for Christians. Remember, it was, it's for all human beings. It goes back to the garden. It goes back to the very beginning This is what God has instituted for human beings. So point number four, if if you're taking notes, this new recalibration of marriage coming from God's holy word is point number four, we need to know it's the divine union between Christ and His bride. The divine union between Christ and His bride. Beloved, we must understand that. We must understand the richness of that and the glory of that and how that is what the Gospel is all about. That the church is wed to Christ. He is our victorious King. Jesus really saves His bride. When you think of this world that we live in and the drama of redemption, all of things in life that we live God is working out in this world, in this drama of redemption, this huge theater of the world, and that Jesus comes alongside his rebellious bride and he saves her. He preserves her. He nourishes her, the church, on the Word, on all those who believe in Christ. He intercedes for her, he feeds her. Cares for her. Christ, our husband, fights for you. He's jealous for you. He will not divorce you. He will not rent you. He will not sell you. He will not kick you out. He cares for you. He loves you with an infinite love. Isn't that glorious? Love it, this is, this is amazing. Divorce has been given as a concession to sin, but it is not God's intended purpose for marriage. There is grace in those that have sinned in that way, there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ? At the end of this particular passage, Jesus brings along His disciples and He brings them into this house and He notes them. He says, it says in the house, the disciples asked Him about this matter. And they, He said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And on that face value, you just go, whoa, guilt, sin, it's bad. I think when we consider a parallel account of Matthew chapter 19, Jesus says, whoever divorces his wife because of sexual immorality, uh, that that he gives a, a concession on. And the spouse has committed sexual morality that he gives a concession to divorce in light of that. And that really wasn't debated in that day. And that's why I think Mark doesn't include it here. But I think in this broad way that the Pharisees were trying to couch divorce, getting divorced for any reason, I think we need to read this particular section of Scripture in that way. And I want you to hear it like that and listen to this. So if we read it where it says, whoever divorces his wife, in the assumption of for any reason, note it's and marries another commits adultery. And the idea is if you divorce your wife for any reason or that is on biblical, uh, unbiblical grounds for any reason, and you go and marry someone else, Jesus says that's committing adultery. And likewise, if she does the same thing, She's committing adultery. I pray today in this message that you don't go away here going, okay, I can get divorced if somebody commits adultery against me, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I can get a divorce if my unbelieving spouse abandons me that I have grounds for divorce and Okay, I'm set on divorce. I know what divorce is. Beloved, I want you to know and I want you to have a glorious picture of the beauty of marriage, of the monogamous relationship of marriage, of the vitality of marriage, how it's God's design, it's His institution, it's this intimate union between a man and a woman. And in particular, it highlights Christ and the church. I want you to go away with not, not the divorce aspect. I want you to understand the God's intention, His design, and the glory of Christ and His church. I want you to leave here with that re- reflecting in your mind. When you think of the glorious relationship of marriage and how God has made it, that all who believe in Christ... Would not perish, but through faith in Him have everlasting life. I know as many couples that have struggled and wrestled with this, there is nuance on every side. There is pain and anguish and hurt on every side. And time does not give us an opportunity to talk about all these different things and you may be thinking well what about me what about me what about my situation we can know that Jesus says that if you look to him that divorce is not the unpardonable sin that Jesus forgives sinners and there's all these complexities. Well, what if, what if I did get married and uh, that was unlawful? Do I now get divorced and try again or never try again? Or uh, th- There's all these different things. You, know? you think of the complexities of a pastor and think you're just talking now to, to a Mormon who's had several wives and they come in and now they're converted to Christ and they're believing in the Lord Jesus and they say, what do I do with all my wives? And I'm like, I need to pray about these things, right? Like, God, help us. Beloved, when you think about divorce in the church, really all joking aside that this is a a complex issue. So I want to tell you, pray for your pastors, pray for your leaders, pray for their discernment, pray for their wisdom, pray for their knowledge of the scriptures, pray for how pastors give advice and wisdom and counsel and these hard kinds of things that we may do the right thing, that we may do the hard thing, that we may do the godly thing. Pray for us. I will pray for you. Let's pray now. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your great mercies in Christ. We thank you that Jesus did not come uh, just that we might have a better life here and now, but that he came to give his life as a ransom for sinners like us. And oh God, we are all guilty before You of sin and in need of a Savior. And Lord, I pray that the Gospel would ring true today in our hearts and minds. And I pray, Father, that as we think about Jesus Christ, the faithful One, the glorious One, the perfectly righteous One, that He is our Bridegroom. He is our salvation. He is our wisdom by faith in Him alone. Oh Lord, help us with some of these most difficult things in our lives. Help us to understand them. Help us to also stand for the truth. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.